five in the eye with Michael and Phil. It's news, but is it new? Hello, I'm a very well welcome to the show. You probably never believe it actually happened. I certainly think I certainly didn't think we'd make it. Today it's episode zero three zero zero. 300th edition of Five in the Eye. That's right, the 300th edition of Colourful's Colourful Radio's weekly news review show that we started back in 2015. This is me, Mike Lohutiru, looking forward to celebrating this landmark edition. And joining Michael by Zoom, it's Phil Woodford. We've been partners in crime on Five in the Eye for years now, as Michael has said, looking at serious news stories, but also quirky and funny ones too. 1,500 of them in total when we wrap up today. And our top story is really going to be a review of where the world's headed post-Brexit, post-Trump and post-everything else. A special guest will be joining us for that one. Five in the Eye. You guys are amazing and it's been a fabulous 300 episodes. Let's look forward to the next 300 episodes live in the eye and at number two this week i was actually stuck by a bbc podcast featuring a young courier and delivery rider working in the gig economy so struck in fact that i got phil to take a listen which takes which, which takes some doing you know because phil's not a podcast person but that's another story we're going to discuss some of the issues raised in in, in the week when delivery delivery riders demonstrated for more rights in the so-called gig economy What's story number three? Well, Australia is apparently no longer a haven for criminals we've transported. It's a hangout for celebrities keen to avoid COVID. The story number four this week, many listeners, particularly perhaps our female listeners, will be shedding a tear at the departure of a certain Roger Jean page from the drama of Bridgerton. And finally this week, it's not only the 300th five in the eye, but it's also 300 years of the post of the British Office of Prime Minister and the 300th anniversary of some other weird stuff that Michael has dug up. I found 300 brilliant things. Just wait until the end of this week's five in the eye. Five in the eye. Hello, Phil and Michael. David Street here. 300 episodes. Absolutely astounding. And still sticking to the same format, two guys chatting in a pub. I can picture that pub now. It's a bit of a working man's boozer next to an institute of academia where professors and a few students come and join the banter. All the best, guys, for another 300. Speak to you soon. Five in the eye. Well, for our first story on this uh, historic occasion of the 300th edition, we thought we'd go back to the 300th story that uh, we we covered on Five in the Eye. And it was actually a wide-ranging story because it was the world situation. And we were discussing it with none other than Abby Kay, who's with us today. And Abby, at the time, um, we were looking, I guess, at Trump coming up fast in the primaries in America. Uh, we'd, um, we'd, we'd seen the Brexit phenomenon take off in the UK, uh, but we were also looking further afield being terrorist attacks in, in Europe. And, and there was a lot of turmoil in the Middle East at the time. And I think we were kind of taking stock of where the hell the world was going. Five years on, um, or four years on, are we any clearer? Do we have any clarity about where the world's going in the in the, in the next next few years? Do you think that now Brexit's out of the way, Trump's out of the way, you can look into a crystal ball and give us a reading of where things are headed? Uh, I think 2020 will show that nobody can ever do that, really. Um, things have been more unpredictable over the past year than than they even were, what, back in 2016? That, that feels like a lifetime ago now. Um, 
in terms of Brexit, the polls show that, you know, a lot of British people now are more comfortable with the idea that we've left. There's not a clamour clamouring from the majority of the population to rejoin. Most people see things as fairly settled. But one, one aspect of that that does concern me is um, what's been going on um, and throughout the rest of the UK. I mean, I voted to leave. And the reason that I did is because I think power should be exercised as close to the people as possible. And if, you know, say Scotland or even Wales or Northern Ireland decided that they wanted to go their own way, I personally wouldn't be opposed to that. But I do think that what's going on in Northern Ireland is quite, it's really sad to see and even sadder that nobody on the mainland seems to pay it any attention, really. But I mean, surely it's a direct product of Brexit, isn't it? Without a shadow of a doubt, I mean, the, 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 the unionist community um, through the DUP, they championed Brexit. They didn't um, they, they, they didn't accept any of the mechanisms for making Brexit a reality. And now there are hardline elements stirring up young people on the streets with this kind of message that uh, the whole union's under threat. I mean, uh, we could have we could have foreseen this, couldn't we? I don't think it is all to do with Brexit. I mean, the analysis that I've seen, there's been a lot of disquiet about the funeral of Bobby Story and the mm. fact that the mm. prosecution service decided mm. not to go ahead with prosecuting Sinn Féin members for going along to that. Um, there's the other aspects of people being bored because they've been locked up for several months. And also, you know, this, um, I think it's the East Antrim um, paramilitary, they seem to be quite heavily involved and they're effectively drug runners these days and it's not really to do with the protocol from that respect so although Brexit is a contributing factor I don't think it's the only one that said there was it was always going to come down to a choice between a border on the island of Ireland or a border in the Irish Sea and mm. that was a decision that had to be taken but the EU said if there was a border on the island of Ireland there would be violence but they were happy to carve up the UK in that deal. And I, and I hold Boris Johnson accountable for that as well. They're happy to carve up the union, which obviously is going to be difficult for loyalists to accept in Northern Ireland. It's a bitter pill to swallow, the fact that we just seem to cut them free and let them loose. Mm. You, you, you make the point well, Abby. But, you know, I'd like to just move on a little bit from when we did that story. I remember I was being concerned, like, the world seemed to be going to hell in a handbasket. In terms of there was terrorism all over the world, there was terrorism in Britain, there was there was things happening in Japan, in in France. You know, you had the um, the, the 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 Mohammedan thing. Uh, there was there was a real terrorist, uh, um, not quite uprising, but it was across the world. And now we see. I think I'm, I, I struggle to think of a terrorist event in the last year or so. The only one I can think of was what happened in uh, was on January the sixth. Happened in America, and okay, they're not going to class that as a terrorist event, but it was it, for me. It was so. I think if I'd be cynical, COVID is calm terrorism. It's made you know. It's I think bit... you're completely wrong there. I mean, they might not have had attacks because there aren't so many people out on the streets, but those ideas that fuel terrorism are completely still there. I mean, the um, head teacher up in Batley as well. Mm. The way that people have responded to him showing an image of Muhammad has been. You know, massive protests outside the, outside the school for days. The teachers now have death threats. He's living in fear of his life. Can't return to the village where he's lived his whole life with his children. I think those, 
the ideas that fuel terrorism, they might be lying dormant, but they haven't gone away. Oh, okay, may I didn't put it, I should have painted it clearly. I think you're right, it's, it's gone dormant, but, but COVID has had an effect, has an effect on, it's kind of level things out. And isn't this an opportunity now? To reflect how we deal with each other, we know these these things are late, and we can we can address them. And one of the things we can do is we can have a, a more positive um, use of our of uh, of our diplomacy, specifically with vaccines, the way we distribute, and we can use them as tools of soft diplomacy. Because China's doing that right now, Russia's doing that right now. You know, they're handing out in in, uh, in, uh, in Africa. They're giving it out. So they're doing it now. Isn't it incumbent on us to use a different weapon now rather than the uh, the, the sweet words in the past, the money now, but but, but the, the use of vaccines aggressively to kind of calm things down even more, bring us together? It's interesting that um, you mentioned Russia were doing it. I mean, they've been doing it in the Balkans, which you would argue, really, where is the EU on that? the reason the reason you know the the sputnik v vaccine is maybe making its way onto the european continent is because of the inadequacies of the eu's own arrangements and i think that's that's pretty clear and a number of countries are, are looking are looking elsewhere i mean i i do think that actually Michael's a little being a little bit utopian about all this I mean yes there's diplomacy yes there's politics involved in the vaccine but I'm afraid I don't see it as being hugely positive at the moment I see it as uh, you know a lot of power games being played uh, we could see it with the UK and the EU but also as you rightly say with Russia and China yeah I would agree I think you know there's always the potential for these things to be beneficial but actually when people are in a state of panic um they tend to Look inward, and that is exactly what will happen. What's happening? Hang on a second. I, 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 I'm sorry, I don't accept that. That I'm being euphemistic. Euphemistic. I'm being, being idealistic. <laughs> Pessimistic. <laughs> I, I just, no, it's, it's the sense that we've got a few euphemisms we use for you, Mark, but we won't yeah. bring them out here. Well, no, thank you for that. China and Russia are using this aggressively as a foreign policy. They're making it work. Whereas, whereas, whereas Europe and Britain impotence. The inward looking, you're totally failed as far as understanding how vaccines work in a diplomatic basis. Britain is just starting to do it now. They're starting to do it after that disastrous thing of cutting back on the foreign the foreign aid. This is a way of, of bringing it back. So no, I think this is an important, and if I, I think I'd almost go as far as essential. If, if we're really going to get the world back on form, get a sense of normality, we have to have some sense of, of um vaccine distribution on an even basis across the world let, 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 let's just uh, we, we've, we've through the vaccine we've touched on a couple of big players on the geopolitical stage russia and china abs what's your take now on where the uk sits vis-a-vis -vis these these powers i mean russia with their constant meddling intervention then their their uh, their novichok attacks their you know their disregard for for, for human rights. The Chinese, um, similarly, we, we, we see the situation with the Uyghurs um, and the oppression of that community in China, but we feel quite impotent. We can't really challenge this, what's become an economic and military superpower. Yeah, I mean, China is just walking all over us at the minute, isn't it, really? I mean, where I am in, in Salford, Manchester, it was Osborne, I think, in 2013, he set up um, the Manchester-China partnership, and we've just had billions and billions of investment from China. We've got 
Huawei headquarters in Media City. And the Chinese are really clever about the way that they're doing this. You know, they're buying up property, they're buying up infrastructure networks. We don't seem to be making a squeal at all. We don't seem to have any moral compass as far as I'm concerned when it comes to this. And that actually really concerns me. Um, like as, a, as a Brexiteur, surely you would accept that the uh, the, the, the kind of um, balance of relation, trading relations obviously has shifted now away from the EU, which is something that you were positive about. And the thinking was we were going to look outward to the world and the world's, you know, one of the world's biggest trading uh, nations is China. So uh, where does that leave us exactly? I think that you can still look out to the world and have a good relationship, a good trading relationship with the EU. Where I think that things should be called into question is when governments of countries that aren't necessarily completely friendly towards us are trying to buy up key strategic industries in our own nation. That That is really concerning to me. And I think that's a different thing to being able to freely sell goods and services. I'll be reminded, and I don't know, either Stalin or Lenin said it, the capitalist will sell you the rope to hang him with. And, and, that, and that's exactly what's happening now. You know, we're, we're welcoming China on the one hand. On the other, on the other hand, we're, we're, we're enemies. We're, we're, we're commercial enemies. And there's even political enemies. I'd even go further to say, if you look, in, if you look at in, um, what's happening in, in um, Hong Kong, we're territorial enemies, you know. So the idea of just going to war, and you know, the question we've discussed this before on, on Five in the Eye: What happens when when China goes into Taiwan? Who's going to stand up for Taiwan? Who's behind Taiwan? Back in the day, it used to be that sort of nominal Western alliance of Britain, America, well, a little bit of Europe, but that's all fallen apart now. So well, you know, I mean, we 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 know, we, 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 Michael. We know that no one has stood up for Hong Kong, don't we? Yeah. And and we we, we uh, why is no, that? No, we because have, we, we have. No, we, Britain has. Well, you know, in the sense of we're going to take these things. We, we, we've accepted, you know, almost was it three or five million an open door. Well, yeah, if they're allowed out. I mean, we've accepted. Well, we, 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 we're going to take them in, and there are consequences. China has said, not entirely, if you do not that, then there's possible. I'm not entirely convinced that the people we're. I'm not entirely convinced that the people we're welcoming are even going to be able to travel, to be quite frank. Um, we're talking about hundreds of thousands of people, potentially, uh, and the attitude of Beijing towards that is very hostile. So, I mean, it's all very well on paper to say, yes, we're welcoming all these people, but we're, we're not doing much uh, in terms of concrete action because China's an economic superpower. China's a military superpower. And we've allowed China to grow hugely in the last 30 years. And, um, and now we're perhaps reaping the consequences. Can I, I think you're on the money there, Phil. Look, we've all, this, we're not going to solve world politics in ten minutes, but <laughs> I'm, I'm going to give. I'll, I'll be the, the last word. The last word. The last word. Three hundred, three hundred shows from now, Abby. What we're we going to be talking about? Well, I hope that we're not still going to be talking about uh, lockdown and the removal of our civil liberties, but I suspect that we may well be. <laughs> no, that that. that you, oh. Thank you for that, Abby. Look, it was just just the, the, the vaccine passports and things like that. I think they have a real potential to become permanent features. And that, to me, is hugely mm. concerning. Mm. No, no. Abby, thank you for those words of wisdom. No, <laughs> and, and almost words of doom. But, you know, that's the, is it the new normal? No, seriously, Abby, it's great having you on the show. 
You can come back on the show, Abby, whether you've got a vaccine passport or not. As long oh, as thank you. As long as it's over Zoom. Live in the eye. Story number two this week is about a young man called Demille, where he was followed over five years. Uh, his career, if you can call it that, as a delivery driver. And he seemed a lovely, lovely boy. He loved his bike, but he struggled to be, you know, he's depressed at living at home with his mum. And he didn't seem to have a direction. Not that, that was my frustration with him. He seemed to be doing his best and accepting his given, his given circumstances. And it was the way Deliveroo never gave him a bigger vision. It was just the next job or the opportunity for the next job that drove him. And I found it quite sad, particularly when, when in, in a week when Deliveroo was, was launched as an IPO, initial offering on, on the London Stock Exchange here, and sold for billions of dollars. So people were making millions of billions. And this young man was literally going nowhere on, on, on less than... Uh, on less than, on, on, on less than average earnings, a lot less than average earnings. And he, he was struggling. And Phil, my problem with this was I felt pity for him. And that's wrong. We should, we need more than pity to help, to help these, these guys in the gig economy. Yeah, I mean, you know, I mean, it's, 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 it's a very interesting podcast because it traces the guy, as you say, over five years and um, it, it, you can pick it up on BBC Sounds. But it, uh, you know, I think what was striking was clearly he's someone who, and, and the interviewer put it to him that, you know, he could have got maybe a better paid job in an office and, um, you know, he, he would have had a little bit more security perhaps, but he actually enjoyed the job. He enjoyed the riding. One of the things that came out of it though, was that, you know, that, that this business of no sick pay, Michael, because you fall off the bike, you injure your wrist, yep, uh, yeah, something yeah, like that. Yeah. And then you're, you're off work. You can't earn and there's no security, absolutely but, zero security. Is but, there? But he went back to work in pain. Mm. And that, that happened later on. He had another crash on his shoulder, and he was driven back to work through pain. And there was because there was no there was there was no sick pay for him, so it, it just seemed wrong. And I'm encouraged now that there's um so-called ESG investments. Have you heard of these things? These are environmental, social, and governance. These are investments where people who, who invest in the city looks at these these factors when they make their investment, and delivery scores rather poorly, mm. as do Uber and all these, uh, these gig economies, um, jobs, where they're not literally looking after their workers. In fact, that's, are they workers now? That, and that's the debate. Uber just got the, been given the chance to workers, and I think delivery have just made that move from being contracted to employees. And people want, people want ethical investment. So I think this whole gig economy is under question now. Particularly when you look I, at the effect of coronavirus. I think you're right. I mean, I think there's a lot of pushback against the gig economy. That the people are getting unionized. We've talked about this, for instance, with Amazon. Uh, the, the fact that people are pushing to be in trade unions. The Deliveroo riders went on strike, and they uh, in, in London, and they were and they were um, riding their bikes through the streets in protest. So there is there's an organized movement. Seems to me. I mean, when I think about the gig economy. 
me. I look back to history and I think about people waiting outside shipyards and factories yeah, exactly hoping to get some thing. work in the morning. Yeah. Or, or I think about people doing piecework um, where they would, you know, they would, they'd be sewing something at home and the more that they sewed, the more money they made, but they could never make enough money. And it's like we've gone back, we've regressed, haven't we, to totally, almost like totally. a pre-war uh, mentality about But he talks about, about that, the fact that, you know, he's hanging around in the rain for a job all morning and nothing can happen. Mm. And he gets one job, a couple of pounds, and that's it. That's it. Oh, so he got for the day for standing round. And that, that shows you how hopeless this gig economy is. In yeah. terms of the, 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 the possibility the challenge to us, Michael, I think, is, you know, if we, you know, it's all very well for us, isn't it, to say this is wrong and the workers should have more pay and so on. But if I need to put my money where my mouth is, I've got to say, OK, well, I'm not going to buy from Deliveroo. I'm not going to order through Amazon. Oh, and, no, but there's, there are many of us, aren't there? You know, if we're honest, no, we no, like, no, you, we mean, like the convenience of all of this stuff. But, you know, and we like the fact that everything arrives instantly on our doorsteps. And these companies um, know that we're going to keep coming back and buying from them. And this is a strong disincentive for them to no, change no, their ways. I, I think that, 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 that that's not a given now, Phil. People look more at the proposition now. This ethical investment, you know, this environmental, social and governance things. People care about these things. So I don't think it's a given that, you know, because we care about people now. We think about the conditions of people. You know, the, the, this idea of someone in less than a living wage. We're sensitive to it. Now, you're going to say when push comes to shove, you know, but people with a hand in the pocket, no, they'll take it anyway. But no, I think that genuinely that there are people, myself included, who think about these things. And, you know, in terms of you look at the launch of, of Deliveroo, it was far from a success. You know, they were, the, the stock was 30% down on the day. Now, okay, people will say, well, Facebook was, was equally was 20% down on the day when it was launched because it was overpriced. But, there's the, but the delivery has things around it which people are uncomfortable with. You know, the way, the way they treat their riders, the way they pay, the, 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 way they, they, they pay the, the, the riders and drivers. So it's not, for me, I don't think this is a stable, a stable proposition. Despite what others may think. For me, it just doesn't, you know, that, 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 it doesn't seem right that we should treat, literally treat people like cattle, to your point, you know, they crowd round, you know, if there's work available, then come on. If there's not available, then keep waiting outside. It doesn't I mean, there seem was right. a, There was the, the court case recently that Uber lost, and Uber's been forced to address some of these issues. And it seems, you know, really all these other companies in the gig economy should be following suit because legally they're in a very, very weak position. But it seems that they're almost waiting and waiting and pushing it backwards in the hope that they won't be challenged and then get away with it. And, and I think the government does probably have to step in and we do need to have a greater degree of regulation. And, and, and you know, that that's just a fact of life, just as we just as we uh, we addressed employment rights back in the um, back in the early part of the 20th century and, uh, and later in the 20th you know, century. You know, they use this, there, there, are, there are good sides to this gig economy, you know, because I and people like me, retired with time on their hands, flexible in terms of how and when they can go to work, it works. But this isn't a job for a man or a woman with a family to support, with a mortgage, where you need a regular income. This is 
almost like this is literally casual income, casual labour. It's, it's, it's hand-to-mouth, isn't it, really, is what we're well, talking no, about. No, it's hand-to-mouth if you need it, but if, if, if it's a bit of a additional income, it's mm. fine. It's a bit of a, it's a plus side. You can end a bit extra on the side. Well, what, what one of my friends used to call it, walking about money. That initial bit of money that you could spend, you know, that could give get you a holiday, a nice meal, you know, a trip to the West End when you could go to the West End, you know, and and, and that, that's fine. But if this is your, you know, this is your life, then you know, the, the, this is no way to to um to to bring up to 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 bring up yourself or your or your family. Five in the eye, Phil, Michael, three hundred episodes of Five in the Eye. Well done. 1,500 news stories, all of them entertaining. Some funny, some not so funny, some very serious indeed, but all of them worthwhile. Five in the eye. Story number three this week. Um, I'm just going to quote here from the BBC. It started with Zac Efron. Then Mark Wahlberg flew over. Matt Damon jetted in. And dozens of other celebrities followed. Where are we talking about, Michael? We're Australia. talking about Australia. Uh, I know. Phil, the thing, it's our the, friends down down under. The, the, the thing, thing I couldn't. And what's imagine. happening is, is the the celebrities, aren't they? They they are heading out there because um, life seems rather good in Australia compared to a lot of other places. They don't have a lot of COVID kicking around, so the the, the celebs who are filthy rich can just. Uh, take themselves off to any part of the world that they think they're going to be able to live the life of Riley. Whereas the likes of you and me, Michael, we're stuck at lockdown in London. This is totally cynical. There's, there's, a, there's a number of shows going out there. They've got Julie Andrews. She's doing Ticket to Paradise, would you believe? We've got our, our own Idris Elba. He's doing Thor with a number of other Hollywood celebs. So they're nominally working out there. And then, you know, I've read on a couple of Facebook sites. There's some angry Australians, you know, literally angry, stranded Australians, there's stranded Australians, UK, Ireland, around the world, and they're they're angry at the government because they've got to pay to get back home, and the flights are going up to four up to four thousand pounds. Flights in the past would have been a thousand pounds, and now four thousand pounds. Then they've got to pay for quarantine. You know, you talk about Where, whereas if you're if you're George Clooney or someone like this, it, Bubble, it, exactly. it, it doesn't it doesn't matter, does it? Because it's just it's, uh, out of no, just a little it's, casual flight. It, it's insult to injury. These people are staying in luxury um, ranches and uh, mansions for 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 their quarantine. Whereas ordinary people, they have to go in these these. Um, motorway hotels overlooking uh, freeways and all that kind of stuff. So it just seems literally one law for the rich mm. and one law for the poor. And, so, and I feel like there's Australians, you know, because some of them have almost a year now. They can't get back. They can't afford to go, go home. And the government's left them stranded. Yet they allowed all these people in. You know, not I'm a big fan of Australia, because a long story, but but he, I've got to say, Australia, no, this is not good. You know, it's, you know, I mean, there are there are a few places around the world where we, we are envious, aren't we, of their COVID status? They they did much better than us earlier on in the pandemic, so they never let the the bug take off the way that we did in Europe or in America. And um, you know, if someone, I'm going to challenge you, Michael. Let's say someone said we could magic you and Ebu 
over to New Zealand and you could you could spend the next year seeing out the rest of the COVID pandemic in New Zealand, would you do it? No, 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 I'm sorry. This, I'm sorry, I'm, I'm, I'm British, we live here. This is, this is home, this is where my family is. The idea that, that's why I'm just shocked, I guess, with these people with money, they can, they can go to the other side of the planet and leave their, all their families here. I don't know how that works. Don't know how that works at all. Mm. But for me, no. Why would you be up there for going? Would the, the Woodfords would they be off there to New Zealand? No, because we got too many commitments here, and we 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 wouldn't we wouldn't want to um, decamp to the other side of the world. I think. Um, so so we we we're, we're stuck really. Having um, said that, not that either not either of us could really aff- probably afford it, even if even if um, we had the opportunity. Well, there's there's one place I would go. That's Karaku in the in the Caribbean. It's one of the Grenadian one of the, the Grenadian islands. It's beautiful there. We, everyone and I spent a fabulous summer there a couple of years ago. Just idyllic, lovely people, and it was nice. So I, I would do that. But New Zealand, nah, nah. I'm, I'm happy here. But and I feel sorry for those Australians who are, who are trapped around the planet, can't go home and can't go home when you see all these these A-listers. Swanning around, being fated by the government, you know, because I guess they, you know, they, they want the money for these films that they're making in Australia. You know, it seems very sad. But one thing I, I'd, I'd ask them to do: why, why don't they make themselves destitute in Britain? Pretty Patel, she likes to get rid of people, so she could deport them. Maybe you know, they should set that up. You know, you yeah, pro- probably, probably if they. If they stole, if they stole a bread roll from Greg's, pretty Patel oh, would probably deport them. Definitely, definitely, back in the day, definitely. Or, or bet, I was going to say a sheep, but no, the, the bread roll, the bread roll will will have you deported. Five in the eye. Story number three. Well, what, what can I say? Or even story number four. <laughs> even story number four, Michael. <laughs> well, okay, here's the three hundred. I, I can. That's our running joke. That's our running joke. Story number four. It's Bridgerton, the star of Bridgerton, the Duke of Hastings, the wonderful Roger Jean Page. He's leaving the show. Now, I was shocked because, you know, there's bro love here. There's bro love and bro envy, envy, because the girls just love him. But then, having said that, yeah, I mean, that, this though, this guy is sort of, you know, he, he 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 seems he seems to be sort of a bit too good looking for his own good, doesn't he? No, really? no, no. You know, this this, this exactly. gentleman, that, that because, um, I, because I, I I have to, I have I haven't watched I haven't watched Bridgerton, but I I can I can see that there's been a big fuss at the idea that he's going to be big, leaving. Huge, so he's made humongous. an indelible impression, hasn't he? So exactly, because he's such a suave, sophisticated, beautiful man, honestly, so debonair, so carefree. And the, just, but he's a faithful man. He looks after his woman. He does. He's wonderful. And it was just, it was a shock to me when I thought he was leaving. I thought, you know, what's he done wrong? You know, because there always, there's always some behind the scene things. But sadly, so, so it, it, isn't it rumored that he could be the uh, a new James Bond? Oh, no, we, we, no, we, no, no, move on, move on. But you know, I thought he'd done something wrong. But no, the, the, his character. That's what that the first series of Bridgerton was about. The next one is about another character. You know, the show moves on. But for me, they lost an iconic, wonderful, brilliant, magnificent character. I'm minded of 
you wouldn't remember this, but there was Idris Elba in The Wire when he was he was uh, was it Stringer Bell? That was his character. He was he was just he was just fabulous in that role. And look what look what happened to Idris now. He's a uh, he's he's been spoken of as the next James Bond, but I think that that that, that is uh, ain't gonna happen. Uh, but Regé Jean, come on, man, he's just wonderful, and I'm just shocked that they could let such a talent go. But I guess but that's this, what TV he, is about. Could this be an opportunity for you, Michael? Now that you know one of the stars has has left, you know this this could be your route into a late acting career, perhaps. You think less of the late, but I, I I did mention it to a few of my friends, my fans, my friends <laughs> on Facebook, and um, sadly there was not um, they weren't rushing, <laughs> they weren't rushing. So I'm 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 not um, I'm not holding my breath for the phone to ring. I just I just hope that. Maybe not this, not this series, but the next, maybe the next, but one, you know, he comes back in some form or another because we need characters of that wonderfulness. We do. Five in the eye. Okay, for our final story this week on the 300th show, <laughs> we're going to just think about some other 300 landmarks. And so it's actually, bizarrely, the, the 300th year since the office of the British Prime Minister was first invented. And it, Tony Blair gave an interview recently where he said he didn't enjoy being the Prime Minister, which seems extraordinary because you've got all that, all those trappings of office and uh, all that power and so on but he saw it as one big headache I think the whole the, the whole time he was he was there because he's worrying from the moment he gets up in the morning to the moment he goes to bed so 300 years of the British Prime Minister but Michael you, you've uncovered some even more important 300 landmarks is that right? Listen to this going the Brandenburg Concerto what speaks more of Europe than this come on listen to it man listen to it this is what Europe is all about, and we've left them. 300 years ago, that, that, that was the tune, and it still speaks to Europe today. It's gone now. Europe, that was then, this is now. The other, one, what, one, the other 300 one that I love was, um, not a lot of people know this, but the, it's the 300th anniversary of the Spanish Royal Tapestry Factory. <laughs> Is this this sounds a bit like one of those Google Doodles, you know? It's 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 is Michael Oduru ninety third birthday. We've done it. We've done a Google Doodle for him. They've been they've been creating tapestries since seventeen twenty one for the King of Spain. So come on, Phil, top that, top that. Come on. Yeah, well, I mean, you know, the, the world of rugs is an important one and does need commemorating. I'm, I'm, I'm sure, Michael. But uh, three hundred, three hundred episodes of the Five in the Eye is surely in a class of its own. I mean, no one would have, no one would have thought it. I, I, I expect that, um, that the, 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 the King of Spain might well have been tuning in, um, but, but never expected to make us to make it to three hundred. What about Passion Play? Three hundred years. In Scofia, Scofia Locker, they've got a passion play that's been going from 1721. They've been on the, this, do you know what a passion play is, Phil? This is Easter, Jesus, the cross. Yes, familiar? I'm not complete. I'm not the complete ignoramus. You think I, I am? Like, this, with is the where, this is, this is where you know, the, the, the Easter story is acted out. Yeah. I think we're an illustrious company here. You know, with a passion play, tapestry manufacturing, the Brandenburg Concerto, and you're one. Prime Ministers. 
300 years of prime ministers. I'm going to put you on the spot now, Phil. You ready for this? Okay. Name all the prime ministers in the 300 years. No. <laughs> Your favourite one. My favourite my favorite prime minister. I can tell that I'm going to go. We you know that's well, I ask you, but I know it's going to be. Go on. Yeah, well, in, in, in my lifetime, obviously, Tony Blair, there wasn't anyone to, to match him. And there, um, unfortunately, there probably won't be. Um, I, I fear in the rest of my life. What about Gordon Brown, a proper a proper minister? You decent know. guy, decent guy. Yeah. Very, yeah. very, 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 very bright. Obviously, lacked the lacked that kind of uh, human touch and that ability to read the politics in the way that Blair did. And right. So you know he, you know, but let let's give him credit. He got us. He rescued us from the financial crisis back in two thousand and eight, two thousand and nine. So that's um, so no, no that not, so not your greatest then. No, well, we need to go back to our guest abs, so I think, for that one. <laughs> so it's, it's a controversial question, that, Philip. I ask you the, the greatest prime minister of all times. I guess what they all have in common, they, most of them they end in failure. They get kicked out of office. Apart from that's your the man. One, that, 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 and that's you, the one thing that we can guarantee just would never happen to us. Is that right, Michael? <laughs> kicked out of office. <laughs> Speak for yourself, or speak for yourself. Five in the eye. Well, that's it for another week. And for the 300th show uh, of Five in the Eye, 1,500 stories, loads of cats, weird things happening in Japan, Donald Trump, some more cats, and the occasional mention of Michael's childhood parrot, Joey. Joey! Joey! <laughs> oh, we really hope you enjoyed our discussions today. Thanks so much to ABK for joining us earlier. If you have anything you want to tell us, please visit our Facebook page and get in touch. For now, this is Phil Woodford saying goodbye and wishing you well for the week ahead. Hope to see you again next time. And this is me, Michael Ohijuru, completely Brandenburg Concerto. As ever, saying if you have been, thanks for listening. Goodbye. Five in the Eye with Michael and Phil. It's news, but is it new?